Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo, what's up, listeners? Welcome to another episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip-hop and R&B news. My name is Ahmad, and I am your host. It is Sunday, May 22nd. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. The second episode of the week, uh, just earlier this week on Friday, I released uh, an episode where I discussed Kendrick Lamar's latest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. So check that out on the feed. In this week's episode, I am back with the finale of the Real Rhythm series, um, a series that I've been co-hosting with my friend Brian, co-host of What's in the Box Office, where we explore the history of hip hop in movies. And so it's been a five part series. And in this week's episode, in the Dig Deeper segment, we are going to uh discuss hip-hop and its place within the different genres of movies so we broke out five different genres and we're going to discuss some of the best hip-hop movies in each genre and just kind of have a conversation about hip-hop at large in each genre so check that out um the song of the week and the press play segment with all the links to everything um that I think you should know about from hip hop and R and B over the past week or two um, will be in the podcast newsletter. Go to thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com. You can either uh, put your email address in on that homepage, and you'll get the podcast newsletter in your inbox, or go to the newsletter tab, and uh, the podcast newsletter from each week is featured there. So I'm going to take a short break, and then when I come back. Um, Brian will be here and we will air the 
finale of our Real Rhythm series. Now, I do want to say, of course, on our last episode together, we had some technical difficulties. So there may be a point um, during the Dig Deeper segment where the audio kind of switches. We had to switch the way that we were recording things kind of like <laughs> mid halfway through. Um, so that might change a little bit, but we were able to get everything together. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. It is now time for the Dig Deeper segment. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is the finale episode of Real Rhythm. Um, If you've been paying attention for the past six weeks, uh, my friend Brian, the co-host of What's in the Box Office, is here in the studio. Hello, Brian. Hello. And we have been uh, embarking on a collaborative series called Real Rhythm, where we explore the history of hip hop in movies And this is the final episode. Um, I'm going to try and remember (laughs) the episodes that we've done. In week one, we talked about and ranked the best original hip-hop song written for a movie. Right. In week two, we discussed rap biopics, I believe. I think it was soundtracks. Oh, soundtracks. Uh, So we talked about the best hip-hop biopics. I don't know. Yeah, one of those two or three we did biopics, uh, best rap biopics, and then best hip hop soundtracks. Uh, and we also did best rapper turned actor. And now in the finale episode, uh, we're going to kind of talk about hip hop and how it is employed and used in the different genres of movies. So we kind of broke down, let me see, one, two, three, four, I think four or five different genres, five different genres, drama, comedy, romance, action, and documentary. Um, We picked some of the best movies in each of those genres. Brian watched some, I watched some, there are some movies that we both watched. And now we're just going to kind of have a conversation about how hip hop is treated in each of those genres um, at large. Um, yeah. Any, any comments before we jump in, bro? I mean, a lot of, um, there's a lot of different genres that would just be rolled into either one of these. So like mm-hmm. a majority of films involving hip hop soundtracks or rappers would fall into the thriller category. Yes. Yeah. Instead of action or instead of drama. And so we've had to kind of parse those out into either of those. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lack of them in other categories. So <laughs> yeah. we really had to pick and choose, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of get into why that might be, uh, as we go on, but, um, it was a pretty good list. I didn't watch two of the ones that, well, three, I guess I turned off one of them. <laughs> <laughs> two of the ones I was assigned, but I have seen boys in the hood before. So I was mm-hmm. like, I think I can, I got that covered, but, um, yeah, yeah. Lots of crime thrillers, like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> that is without a doubt the number one, like, genre yeah. of movie that, like, hip hop has been used in. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when 
we got a majority of those was in the 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s, kind of before in general the film industry started targeting all four quadrants, which is old, young, uh, men, women. Everyone mm-hmm. can go see these movies. And so that kind of eliminated a lot of smaller R-rated fare. So in the 90s when this was big, uh, and also when you think about the type of rap music that was big, it was mm-hmm. gangster rap and it was about the streets. So those movies mainly took place in impoverished neighborhoods and in New York and in the inner cities and were R-rated yeah. and dark. And also they're cheap to make. You know, mm. a big big action movie is more expensive and they felt that they could uh, make their money back by making them cheap. Uh, sometimes to the detriment of the film. And uh, that goes just to a larger issue with the industry, which I will touch on at some point in this podcast. But what's our first, uh, is it drama? Yeah, let's, let's jump into drama. All right. Let me pull over. Uh, so the, the movies that we kind of listed under drama, we had Do the Right Thing, New Jack City, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, Hustle and Flow. Um, we had American Gangster, and then we both watched it, and I was like, ah, man, this isn't really a hip-hop movie. This is I, I am enjoying this movie, but this is – I don't know if this really really counts. Surprising so, amount of rappers, though. <laughs> yes, yes. There were like in three it. different rappers – three or four yeah. different rappers. In like movie. not that small of roles. Like when – because I saw that in theaters, and I don't think I've watched it since. And so when it was like <laughs> – Oh, this is your younger cousin. He's going to play football. And it was T.I. I I was like, holy shit. That's really weird. Yeah. Um, So we we came to that that discovery after we both had already watched it. Spent two and a half hours. (laughs) Two and a half hours. That movie's so long. (laughs) Two and a half hours watching it. I, I like I like finished it and I was like, dang, I really hope Brian hasn't watched this already. No, because- I watched it the day before you. <laughs> I watched it on Sunday. You emailed me Monday. Um and then Belly uh also in this category. Yeah, and then Belly. Yeah, and then yeah, you know. <laughs> we won't spend too much. We I honestly can say that we have spent enough time on Belly in the five weeks that we have we have done this uh, uh, series. So. Much like after uh, a, an hour-long massage, I spent too much time on belly. Time to get up and... That's a good one. Out. I like that. <laughs> on belly doesn't really work with that time, so I appreciate it. Um, what did you watch? Uh, so I actively watched New Jack City, mm-hmm. Menace to Society, and then American Gangster. Um I had already seen for from earlier in this series, Do the Right Thing, Hustle and Flow, and I watched Belly like last year at some point, so it was still kind of fresh. So I've I have right. seen all of these relatively recently. Have you had you seen New Jack City before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's the only one of these I have not seen. Okay. So how was it? What happens in it? Tell me everything. So New Jack City is is kind of like a hood Scarface movie. Uh-huh. Um, it's about Nino Brown, who is um, played by Wesley Snipes. He's a big time like drug dealer kind of boss, and <laughs> the kind of the main conceit is like so. Nino Brown's on his rise, and one of the main things that he does is he takes over a like apartment like project house housing project complex like basically kicks the landlord out and is like yo i own this now and i'm going to like 
run my drug business out of here kicks everybody who's living in it out unless they're willing to, I guess, like work for him and like package up the drugs and all of that. And then he just deals drug out of this park, uh, this complex. Um, Chris Rock is notable in the movie. He plays a crackhead turned police informant turned crackhead. How is he? Is he good? Yeah, he's pretty decent. Uh, probably one of my favorite roles from Chris Rock. Like I think he played the role pretty well. Um, Ice-T is a detective who gets – he's like a, a hardened detective who's like – I think he was in trouble with the force from something he did in the past. And so he gets put on the unit to kind of go undercover and bust Nino Brown's operation. Um, Ice-T was okay. I didn't, I didn't think his acting was great. Um, but he got a taste for that New York City cop role. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, like, for sure. I'm gonna do this later and that'll be all I do until the end yeah. of time. Um yeah, I mean the movie was a, a bit slower than I remember it being, but I think mm-hmm. it's it's still pretty solid. It's definitely got that late eighties, early nineties kind of vibe from it. Um most of the movie is severely overacted. Like there's a lot of just like people shouting their expressions, like oh, rather boy. than acting them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um but I did think kind of like the internal politics and conflicts between like Nino Brown's like crew, because how Nino Brown inevitably comes undone is like his crew starts to resent him and he obviously doesn't treat people well. So that's kind of his undoing. There's a very popular scene from the movie where uh, some mobsters are like appear to like shoot Nino Brown and he just picks up this child and uses her as a human shield. <laughs> to oh, get out of the, does so the that's kid like die? no no she doesn't uh, uh, weirdly enough she doesn't die but she certainly should have um <laughs> but that's probably one of the are they actively firing yeah yeah oh, okay shooting See, when, when 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 you said that she doesn't die i figured he held her up and then they were like oh fuck we can't shoot him there's a kid there <laughs> so they just were like oh fuck it we'll just keep shooting. Yeah, they just kept yeah. shooting <laughs> um but i mean at the end of the day like it's not a great movie and certainly not better than the better movies on this list, but I would right. still watch it again. Like it's a, it's a classic. You know what I think about when we take a look at it, especially because this is our, probably our most successful genre here. Like yeah. Do the right thing. Boys in the hood, menace to society, hustle and flow. I mean, hustle mm-hmm. flows on a lower tier, but you know, are so, especially the first two are just so celebrated. They came out two years apart, I think. And, um, and they're such classics. And I think that a lot of the success that hip hop movies or I think of the losses they have has to do with when they tackle a subject matter, seriously or show a flaw or show um you know i just i think that it's 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 about like what led these characters to this place mm-hmm. and how they have no choice or how their choices have been um decided by outside factors or their their morality tales whereas i think that a lot of the other ones that we'll get later um I don't want to say necessarily glamorize what's happening in the films, but certainly play to the fact that um, 
a lot of people took gangster rap as being like, uh, oh, this is how, this is what I aspire to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so they made movies that glorified them, and that doesn't bring interesting characters. If you glory, you know, you you need characters that either are going through something or go through a change, not characters that you like, mm-hmm. and then they succeed or they die, but by dying they have succeeded because it was cool. And um, I think the, the the morality tale of of do the right thing and Boys in the Hood is. And then the honesty that those bring to those characters, those environments is what makes them the best of of this kind. I think of what a lot of movies that are set within that culture will um, end up not emulating. And I think Mm -hmm. it leads to a lot of worse movies about it being made. Yeah. And I, um, I will say I, I've been championing menace to society for like a very long time. I've always really liked that movie. I've, I've personally always liked that movie better than boys in the hood um, because I kind of liked the characters more. I felt like, like the stakes were a little bit like more gripping throughout the movie, but the main character um, whose name I'm forgetting at this point, but I feel like one of the successes of this movie was that like, they didn't really like paint him as like the hero or the villain, I mean, or both. He was kind of like both. Like right. he did a lot of bad things, but you could also see like the endearing qualities about him and why the people around him actually wanted to be around him and like yeah, cared and it about makes him. It, and, you know, we're not rooting for him when he makes these decisions. We're frustrated by him <laughs> because we like him as a character. So when mm-hmm. it, that's yeah, it's exactly it, it's a flawed character that gives us something to tap into and root for him because he's making these choices yeah. and we're like you can't, why are you doing this it's so frustrating and yeah. that's how you know that you're connecting to a character yeah yeah um and then i think a lot of the dramas that we'll get i just I, you know again this whole film industry now is just so different um that we we don't really get these kind of movies but something like a blind spotting is very similar it's it's uh a tale of of um again it's all about morality as as most movies are it's about decisions and what's right and what's wrong and how mm-hmm. those lines can be blurred and um i think part of uh the best rap music that we get is also tiptoeing those lines where you know you're you, you they they say their situation their their happenings and you take them with a grain of salt, you, you wince at them, you laugh at them and it's at what they're saying, not the person, but it's, yeah, I just think that drama is, is a great, uh, genre, but it's one that can be very easily missed. It could be very, it's very easy to miss that mark and just make a movie that you think is cool when like, that's not the point of these movies. Yeah. And, um, and then also when you look at the fact that like, I don't know, I feel like we, we judge as a society dramatic acting so much more heavily than like in other genres. And so then you're like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, then now we got to actually have some, like (laughs) some people who can act in these movies and like, it it doesn't occur too much in like the movies that we have here because these are all very good movies because there's also good acting in them. But there are right. so many dramas where it's just like, 
God, if you could have just got some better actors in this movie, like then it actually maybe could have could have done something. But yeah, acting is is hard. And <laughs> yeah. I, a lot of people don't think it is, but it's very hard. And uh, I think that uh, comedy is is obviously the hardest um, thing to pull off. But drama is one that will seem like the easiest right right and so because you think oh i just have to be serious you then lose any nuance you might have to the character so it, mm-hmm. it, it's drama is the easiest to to be overconfident on and screw up on and so um i think you can get a lot more misses from rappers in dramas than you can in comedies oh yeah Oh yeah, and it might be because a lot of the comedies that come with the hip hop uh, territory are not good, <laughs> which we can talk about now. Yes, yes. Um, so for the comedy uh, genre, we have House Party, we have Cool as Ice, we have CB4, Fear of a Black Hat, Friday, Bullworth, How High, and Dope. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So I watched. Let's see. I watched House Party like last year. Yeah, so did I. I watched it during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and you watched Cool as Ice like earlier Watch, in the series. Yeah, right. CB4, we'll get into that. You said you couldn't, couldn't finish it. I got about it. 10 minutes in and I realized <laughs> I, I, I get it. <laughs> um, I yeah. watched all of Fear of a Black Hat. Um, okay. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it's that's it, that's the one that like went to Sundance. The, the, both CB4 and Fear of a Black Hat are spoofing NWA. Mm-hmm. And Fear of a Black Hat does its straight mockumentary, which is similar to what The Office is and Modern Family was and a lot of great movies like This is Spinal Tap, um, where it's a documentary about a group. What, what, is their, what is their name in the... Oh, so it's... So it's... Um, let me see. Oh, so instead of Attitude, it's Hats. <laughs> and there the the best thing about this movie so it's so it's nwh yeah nwh yeah the best thing about this movie is that everything they're saying is so ridiculous like every every concept every song that they explain like mm-hmm. why they named a song this or why they're rapping about this is completely ridiculous but the seriousness with which they like <laughs> They like explain that's, everything. That's how you do comedy is you don't want to be <laughs> winking at the joke. Your character needs to think this is the most serious thing I could be saying. That's yeah. how all great comedies are is the characters believe what they're doing and we need to interpret <laughs> it as comedy. Um, but so the, the difference between CB4 is like they, they both came out the same year. CB4 is for cell block four. It's where the characters met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot what their oh no their their group name is CB4, um, <laughs> and uh, the movie starts with like them doing them. Sh- it, it starts with this guy showing them a documentary he's made, but they show it for about five seven minutes and then it stops and he's like, oh man, th- this is the wrong edits. And they go out and they're filming stuff and part of it is the stuff that would be in the documentary. Part of it wasn't, and also just the comedy itself isn't good. Chris Rock is like mm. actively bad in it. There's a, there's a bad joke where his girlfriend and his parents are like dancing to like a fake MC hammer and he's like rolling his eyes and he's like, this isn't rap. You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't, I don't need any of this. I like Tamara Jenkins and, um, as a director, but 
it, it, it wasn't very good, but I do remember <laughs> Fear of a Black Hat, which I watched a few years ago, being uh, pretty funny. It's so <laughs> funny. Doesn't their, their manager keep getting shot? They, yeah, so there's a running joke in that every time. So they used to have black manager or managers, and it was all their family members. And they're like, "Yo, just so to keep things cool, we decided to have only white managers." But like all of their managers end up like coming up missing or ending up dying. Okay. And every time they're like, "Oh, we weren't here when that happened. We we weren't in the city, so we don't know what what happened with that." And then like they have lots of parodies of like. Every song that they make is a parody of some real song. Um, And then they also have parodies of artists. So there's a group called Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme instead of Salt and Pepper. And it's just like (laughs) an all-girl group. And there's like Vanilla Sherbert instead of Vanilla Ice. Um, Yeah, they got uh, uh, Jake Spingleton, which is John Singleton. (laughs) Yeah. And Spike Lee. MC Slammer. Uh, Vanilla Sherbert. (laughs) Ice tray, ice box, ice coffee, iceberg. <laughs> and then like some of their songs, like they had Granny said kick your ass instead of Mama said knock you out. Like it was like it was all just like I think so well done. Fuck and the it, security guards. Yeah. And they weren't like it wasn't like they were like mean spirited when they were making fun right. of the people they made fun of. Like it it all like seem to be in jest so that was that was pretty cool i i highly recommend this movie to anybody like i think it's it's, it's very funny, funny. yeah and honestly i don't know i mean i don't know how successful this movie was but i think that it would have been really cool if there was like a movie series like this so like how scary movie took mm-hmm. like parodying different scary movies and turn that into a series that spawned like five or six movies. Like it would be super cool if there was like a fear of a black hat type movie series where they did this for every period of hip hop. So like you have the one that they did here with like the late eighties, early nineties, you do one for the two thousands. I think it would have been super successful. So this actually, there's something in CB4 that in the beginning, they have a lot of real life rappers do testimonials as if they're mm. talking, you know, it's Ice Cube, Ice T, Halle Berry, who's not a rapper, but she's in there. And um, and they're talking about which one is their favorite of the group. And it just reminded me of Popstar, which did that so much better. Oh. Like Nas and and uh, like Mariah Carey, and just everyone talking about how they influenced Mm-hmm. those acts and like you know like the donkey rolls would maybe want to be a rapper and it's like really 50 cent i don't think that's true um like that's just such a better idea than saying like which one is the best one so fear of black hat is definitely the way to go as oh the thing i was going to say was that you could do that series of of movies and then just have pop star be the last one that you do oh. <laughs> the last uh like where we are currently in popular uh thing but yeah. i mean i yeah i, I think that mockumentaries are just so when they're done well are so smart and well observed and the best mm-hmm. ones you can't tell it's i mean i don't want to keep tooting their horn but it's why lonely island music is so good it's because the production sounds like the songs they're parodying yeah it doesn't sound cheaper than it it sounds exactly like those songs and so that's what the best mockumentaries do is they look sound and act like the things that they're discussing mm-hmm. fear of a black hat does that essentially and i i would love another Hip hop uh, mockumentary. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Um, what else did you watch? 
Um, okay. So I watched Friday again, but I mean, I've seen Friday so many times. I, I yeah. honestly just watched it because I wanted to watch it. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, that movie is a classic. We've, we've talked, I think yeah, about we talked about it, uh, series. a few weeks ago. Yeah, but it's, it's great. I love, I love the acting of so many of the supporting characters, but I also think that Chris, uh, Tucker and Ice Cube are such a great pair in that movie and the way that they kind of like the way that they kind of like are the center of everything and everything kind of like revolves around them. I really like, um, and the, the soundtrack of Friday, like as I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is every single song from the soundtrack. Like, cause I just yeah. listened to the soundtrack a couple weeks ago. I was like, all of that music was played in the movie and it was like arranged and utilized like perfectly. So yeah, I wasn't expecting that ending though. <laughs> yeah and, um it, it's pretty pretty comedic for most of the movie and well, then all of a sudden it gets real serious at the I end mean, i hadn't seen a friday film before so all i know of the franchise are the trailers for two and three and they're just so zany and full of like fart jokes and this one kind of is but more tame and i was like yeah all right this is the first movie and then they'll double <laughs> down on the sequels and then there's like i think ice cube might shoot somebody and i was not <laughs> expecting that at all um, but it is very fun it is very fun yeah um all right did you rewatch uh we we talked about Bullworth already yeah did you yeah. rewatch how high uh unfortunately i did <laughs> i'm so glad you had that reaction to it man I, so I have seen How High once before this, and it was okay. so long ago. It was it was so long ago that I didn't really remember what happened, other than like they were getting high and they were trying to like pass these tests. Like right. that was I just remember like the the general concept of the movie. So I rewatched it, and like it is so so bad and so much crazier than I remembered it being. Like it's like slapstick humor but it's like a level beyond that like it's just so corny and so poorly written and like for anybody who hasn't seen how high doesn't know what how high is how high is a stoner movie featuring method man and red man as the main characters um they are both trying to like pass these tests that i think i there's they seem like the tests are supposed to be similar to like the like like a GED or test yeah. or like to get into college basically and like that's the first issue we're supposed to believe that Method Man and Red Man are like 19 years old that's <laughs> what I was thinking I was like how old are they it might be a GED I mean they might be out of school okay yeah so if it's if it's that then it's like all right that's that's a little more believable yeah, they're like 24 and they're getting they're taking their GED test but like the main idea of the of the movie is that one of method man's friends dies because he was smoking weed he fell asleep the joint lit his dreads on fire his entire body then all of a sudden became engulfed in flames and then he jumped out of a window and fell to his death and then got hit by a bus yes and then got hit by a bus and then in in case that wasn't enough Method Man then takes his ashes and by, like by mistake, doesn't he? Or did he do, do no? No, I think no. he did it on purpose. Yeah, they they run out of weed, mm-hmm. and he uses it as fertilizer for all of his plants. Like Method Man is like 
growing so many weed plants. And so he uses his fertilizer. And so now anytime Method Man smokes joints from the weed from the plants that his homie's ashes are in, his homie appears as a ghost. Who knows who knows the answers to the test? <laughs> yeah, and so somehow they enroll at this college. I think it's Harvard. a community college. Oh yes, it was Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> They get, they get like Harvard. a perfect score on a GED and Harvard's like, we got to take them. Got to take these dudes. They're so smart. Um, and so then the, the movie is, and then they meet every single stereotype. <laughs> yes. In the book. Yes. yes. They, they really do. I have um, so much to can I, can I just say the first like 10 minutes I was fine with. <laughs> I yeah. never seen this before, but I was literally like, "All right, this is fine." He's got wacky characters. I like the guy falling out of the building. That was edited in a funny way. And the director, the director has made like at least one. Co- he made American Wedding, which I liked, and or yeah, and then maybe something else. I don't know. But um, I was. Let me tell you how stupid it was not to have Method Man and Red Man already be friends. Yes. Yes. Why weren't they just friends? Because now they're just meeting in a car and they're like, we're doing everything together. You're my best friend in the world. I'm sharing everything with you. Like that was just make them friends. I mean, I guess when you, when you see a ghost together with a random stranger that, that endears that like, like you two are are intertwined for the rest of your lives. So then they go, they go to Harvard and the way that that, not the dean, the associate dean, uh-huh, uh-huh. the way that he said everything drove me out of my mind. The way everybody said anything. Method Man is a true star. Mm-hmm. I think he's so natural on screen. He is. He can give line deliveries. Red Man is fine, but there's a reason why he has not continued to pursue this. Mm-hmm. But everyone else is doing the biggest thing they can. The let's start with that guy. I don't know for our role he played, but he's the uptight black man who oh, yes. talks like you know, like how Def Jam comedians imitated white people. He's just so mm-hmm. exaggerated in his pronunciation. He's like flabbergasted by everything. What could you don't put your feet there? Like he's just so over exaggerated. He's awful. And he's in something else. I don't know what I've seen him in. Maybe he was in. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, dear white people. I don't know yes, why that's. He's, yeah. Yes, he's uh, he's Troy's father. In okay, dear he's white. much better in that than he is in this. He is. <laughs> uh, then we have the jock, who is con- who. This is of such an era in these early two thousands, where and this is this is regardless of whether they're playing with an African American. He, mm-hmm. you know, like Van Wilder encountered this same piece of shit who just like he, he his eyebrows are just so crazy. He the guy will just say things like he'll call him like Buster <laughs> and shit like it's that kind of personality and it drives me nuts. <laughs> All of their roommates are just like so, so the, the you know the, the 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 Middle Eastern guy has an accent. The Asian mm-hmm. guys, the white guy's like a fat nerd. I just, I could not handle and like and again yeah the plot makes no sense. There's like a ten minute sequence of them digging up a body and like I, I was, 
very grotesquely breaking it. it. I was like shocked that it was still happening. It's it was so bad. I was just about to say there is a point where because somebody steals their plant with the magical ghost friend ashes, they're like, all right, well let's just. Uh, dig up somebody else. So they dug up John Adams' corpse, apparently. It's supposed to be yeah. President John Adams' corpse. Like, took his hand off and, like, blended it up. Like, it was, it was just so unnecessarily ridiculous. Um, it's, I will never watch this movie again in my life. No, it's absolutely terrible. I don't understand the cult status it has. <laughs> it's like why I haven't watched Half Baked. I'm like, I just don't think no. that it's for me. I don't think that there's a world. Where I find it funny, it, it kind of pinpoints um, not not at all hip hop comedies or 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 anything like that. A lot of comedies like this are just like the lowest common denominator comedy. Like there's no thought put into the script. There's no character development put into the script. There's no comedic situations. It's just a lame joke you can see a mile away over and over again, and things that want to make you feel gross and. Just sex stuff that you think is funny. Isn't it mm-hmm. funny that these two prostitutes are going to have sex with the nerds? Like, it's not. There's nothing <laughs> funny about that. And um, it just feels like a lazier type of comedy. And it's very much um, a sign of the producers thinking that this is what these audiences want. This is mm-hmm. what audiences crave. They're cheap. We'll crank it out. And we've seen time and time again that, like, you know, we, we there's some hip-hop comedies we're going to talk about in a second that are very funny mm-hmm. and aren't just reliant on, you know, weed humor or racial humor or whatever to get their comedy out. And so it's really disappointing that the industry has pigeonholed, you know, this type of music and rappers into a very limited box um, yeah, yeah. I I honestly can't believe this movie was in theaters. Like, I can't believe that like that they there was probably a promotional trailer for this movie, oh, and then it opened in number uh, like a multitude of screens, and oh, yeah. people bought tickets, and then they sat down in the theater and they watched this entire movie. I can't. I, it blows my mind. <laughs> Is it worse than either of the films we have left in Multiplex Sadness? Ooh. Oh man, that's a really good question. Is how high came out a year after Battlefield Earth. God, I really don't want to see any of those three movies again. <laughs> but if I would I rather I see I still think that on this at the same time we all watch Bullworth together, we should also watch Battlefield Earth. <laughs> we'll all be drunk enough. Yeah, that, that's definitely a, a drinking movie. I think I think it's a conversation to it be. It is a con- Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's, it's really bad. <laughs> so then on like the opposite end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. quality wise, we have dope. Which, yeah. And it's, again, so telling of a studio and industry mindset where dope is an independent film. <laughs> That mm-hmm. had to fight for theaters. And yep. this is a movie that was like greenlit at the studio level and was given a marketing campaign and a oh. national rollout. And Dope is like, please come see our little movie. <laughs> <laughs> we have some famous people. <laughs> Executive produced by by Pharrell and, and, and Puff Daddy. And it's like, yeah. please come see it, sir. Um, 
Yeah, dope. I, I rewatched Dope. Did you rewatch Dope? I did. I did. Dope, dope was great. I got the poster on my wall here. Oh yeah, yeah. It's an amazing. I'm here for a geek. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I think I watched it in theaters when it came out, and I was just like, "This is amazing. <laughs> this is a great movie." And then I bought it on DVD because I was like, "I want to own this forever and be able to watch it whenever I want, regardless of whether it's streaming or not." Um, it is exactly my kind of soundtrack. Yes, like it's a great coming of age movie. It's got '90s hip hop at its center, um, and and the, the hip hop is like very prevalent in the actual movie. Like they have just like random hip hop conversations, which is one of my like favorite things ever. How casually they just like start talking about like hip hop at large. Um, Shamik Moore's great in it. I can't remember if like this was before or after he started to get big. Um, cause I know you had like some big roles in his discipline. This has gotta be before. The, yeah. What makes this movie soar is that, is the whole cast. Everyone oh. crushes in this movie. This was my first, this was our first introduction to like Kiersey Clemens. Mm. Oh yeah, and, this is his very first movie. Wow. Yeah. And Shamik Moore and like, you know, ASAP is great in it. Mm-hmm. Zoe Kravitz is great. It's such a good cast. Everyone, Tony Ravioli, as I call him, that, this was right after Grand Budapest Hotel. This is the movie he did after that. Okay. Um, Tony Revolori, I think is his actual name. Mm. I call him Tony Ravioli. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it pitch perfectly cast and performed. And, that's what makes it great, and it, it harkens back to the original Friday where there's real stakes here. Yes. Like, there's multiple shootings, and multiple people die. Yes. In the movie. <laughs> I was, I hadn't watched this in a while, and I was shocked when uh, they raid the club, and that dude just gets blown away, and I was like, yeah. holy shit, I don't remember this being so prominent. Um but it's similar to Friday where it's placing you in a real environment and then making jokes not about the environment but within it. And that's yeah. the the key to – if you're going to do a comedy centered in um, an impoverished community in the inner cities, that's how you do it is you don't exploit the place. Mm-hmm. You discuss the comedy that the characters might go through in spite of their surroundings. So. Yes. It's such a smart script. I love the ending so much. His, his, the way he ends that letter. Um, I want to spend a lot of time on the music, uh, on Oreo in particular. <laughs> I truly want to talk about that. But, you know, there, there, there's a few moments that were bumpy for me this time. I still don't think that the stuff with the sister works. Which stuff? Where, where, where she gets high. Oh, the, and the gets naked girl, and girl I, I understand yeah. a lot of the movie is wish fulfillment. <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a big part of this movie is he gets the girl at the end and, and a big part of a coming of age movie that's like R rated is like the hot girl will come on to him and he chooses not to. And then he, that, that, that endears him to us. He didn't take the quote unquote easy road to the success. He, 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 he waited and got the girl, but it's still a really stupid scene in my opinion. I don't think it's realistic that she's just like, can I take my clothes off? He's like, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's really stupid and and stuff. And then her, the way it ends with her peeing in the bush, I'm like, none of this is really that funny to me. But Shamik Moore does a great job of grounding that scene, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
And I will oh. say, um, during that scene, specifically when they decide to like leave the house, they start playing Scenario by a Tribe Called Quest. Yes. And I feel like that song, like, just like the energy that it gave fit perfectly with everything that was yeah. happening on screen. Like, I really like that. I, I had just watched, uh, Beats Rhymes in Life before, oh, nice. right before. And so I was like, this is a good one to watch. <laughs> I've just been ingrained in 90s hip hop culture and now there's, yeah. I'm watching this movie. Um, but I think that, yeah, a big, big part of the success of this is the script is really tight and it's saying something, you know, his letter is, is the message behind it. And so it's mm-hmm. not hitting you in the face as hard as a do the right thing or boys in the hood, but it's just as, as, as relevant in, in the sense of like, when you see me, what do you, what do you see and what is it because of my skin color because of my surroundings Mm -hmm. or because of how i write you know if i'm writing this in a certain way does that make and it's um you know when when the advisor says why don't you write about you being poor and black and he's like well no i don't i don't want to that's not my experience i like that he says like that's not my identity yeah you know that's not how i see myself Mm -hmm. so i don't want to exploit in that regard um also like so yeah when when he came to his advisor about like the college essay he wanted to write i thought the college essay that he had written was actually really good it was about it was it was the uh the the, the ice cube uh yeah he was, he was trying to pinpoint what day like using like research ice cubes uh day good from day today was yeah. a good day was i was like i would read that paper <laughs> i would too it's very funny um and and yeah the, it's so good and it's so funny and and i think it's it's a real shame that that's not the kind of movie that gets the big studio rollout and i think a lot of it is because it's not adhering to what is stereotypically in hip-hop songs you know mm-hmm. how high is about how great weed is, which is a right. big part of hip hop, uh, especially, you know, in the early 2000s. And then you look at Friday and that's about, you know, the very much like the, um, the, a, a day in the life of these characters mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. Whereas dope is about a different type of character and those experiences and their characteristics don't seem to fit in with, the quote unquote culture of hip hop. So I think that it's really interesting that that kind of movie that kind of pushes against those mm-hmm. kind of ideologies is what's not uh, distributed and what's made more quickly and more like assembly line fashion when worse are the ones that are like, Oh yeah, well hip hop's about weed. So here, here's right. a weed. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not interesting. I love Oreo so much. Pharrell crushed it with those songs. Yes. They're so good. Um, What's great about it, especially, is they sound like songs that these characters could have made. Yeah, like it, it completely made sense that this this group of friends would like <laughs> would make like a punk rock band, and like everything they were talking about was like what they lived. Like it was yeah. like I, this makes sense. Yeah, and, and even like the songs the, were good. <laughs> the the production doesn't sound too professional. Like it doesn't yeah, sound yeah. like oh yeah, well Pharrell you know, layered 19 of these beats and pipe. It's, it's just very straightforward sound. And I believe that they did all their own, especially all their own singing. I don't know about the instruments, but they definitely did their own singing. Yeah. Yeah. And the songs, I, I go back to those songs <laughs> over and over again. I really think they're great. Um, and we had a, a thing earlier when we were doing this, when we were discussing this series where I, one of us wrote a bullet point of like, um, best like fake hip hop 
Oh. Rappers are acts. And specifically, I was thinking of this because okay. they're so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, dope is great. And I think it really should be what um, future filmmakers, if they want to make a hip hop centric comedy, should aspire to is, is you can set it in these neighborhoods and with the same ideals as, as said in hip hop songs, but you can also push against it and get comedy mm-hmm. from that and make it about your characters. They're not stupid. They're not. <laughs> dumb they don't make bad decisions they're put in bad decisions and they have to get out of it somehow um, yeah like i don't i don't need to i don't need a comedy like how high anymore really unless you were like <laughs> unless you were coming with something different or maybe even if the visual effects are like incredible or something like that but like i i really just want like a, a good story at the end of it that's yeah. funny and yeah. yeah i mean i love silly comedies that have no plot but they have to be funny right yeah. You know, it's, it's a really, it's a really hard to do, but a like really basic thing. I need mm-hmm. it to be mm-hmm. funny. Um, all right, how about romances? So this again is like there are various movies that have romance that could be thrown into other genres, but these are two romances that are just very much about the romance. Yeah, and and hip hop is also like very prevalent in both movies. So. For romance, we had Save the Last Save the Last Dance, a movie about a white girl who moves to the South Side of Chicago, um, goes to a like ninety nine percent black school, and starts to immerse herself in black culture. And then we have Brown Sugar, which we talked about uh, maybe an episode or two ago, which was a love story between two characters who are in the the music industry, um, specifically in hip-hop. I think one of them is an A&R-type um, character. Um, but, yeah, they're they're both very popular amongst the culture. Um, I rewatched Brown Sugar last week or whenever we did the episode. Yeah, so did I. Soundtracks, and I watched Save the Last Dance yesterday. You know, Save the Last Dance, I saw both these in theaters. Save the Last Dance, they came out. When did Brown Sugar come out? Oh, they came out in 06 or something. Um, Save the Last Dance I saw when I was nine. I hadn't turned ten yet. Mm-hmm. And I liked it a lot. It was a very cool movie as a nine-year-old, a very adult movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sex scene in it. <laughs> yes. A, a, a pretty sexy sex scene, if I recall. Um, yeah. And there's there was violence and it was in Chicago and I was like oh man this is I shouldn't be seeing this is for thirteen year olds not nine year olds um and it's held as held a special place in my heart it's the reason why when I watched uh um oh god what was uh, the tragedy of Macbeth this past uh, uh, winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, Sean Patrick Thomas showed up and I went, oh, this is the movie. Why? <laughs> um, I will forever know who Sean Patrick Thomas is. And, um, yeah, I, I rewatched it for my podcast over quarantine and I still really dug it. I think that the, I think it's really competently paced and shot. I think the production values are good. They shot on the South side and you can tell. Yeah. Uh, everything looks real authentic. And the performances are good. Carrie Washington's great in it. It's a really nice early role for her. Um, Julie Stiles is good. Sean Patrick Tom, they have good chemistry together. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely age. Like her dancing is garbage and it's, it's funny to watch her and her like baggy orange pants in a dance 
studio with him and he's like, now be hip hop. And she's like, got it. And she does it. And you're like, all right, well, you still look absolutely insane. Isn't there a scene where she has like one braid? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She has like green tights. Very, very like late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff hasn't aged very well, but I, the soundtrack is great. And yeah, I um, dancing under the L is iconic. There were a number of songs where I was like, oh, man, I forgot about this song. I was like, I'm pretty sure I maybe first learned of this song through this movie. Like, I I definitely I definitely recognize the soundtrack as the songs were were played through the movie. I thought the movie was was fine. It's a fine love story. I did think that um, Julia Stiles and SPT had. Um, had good chemistry. I think the only thing that really didn't, and this is probably because this is a 2022 lens versus 2001 when this came out, but like the whole, all, most of the scenes with like her trying to assimilate into black culture in this like this school were kind of cringy and like every what do you mean? she like she starts to like say she says she says like phrases and what is she yeah doing? like slamming like that's okay. slamming see when I when we first met and I did that you thought you thought that was fine you high fived me after I held my hand up for five minutes you finally high fived me but it was still a high five well it's twenty twenty two you know we got to embrace we got to embrace this stuff um, you're right though. <laughs> but like yes yeah, yeah, when I did it it was two thousand like seventeen you're right that's <laughs> um. But yeah, she like, like, all of the, the things that they try to, that they like make her do so that she like fits in right. with all of these new black friends she has. And then like, every other character was just like a black stereotype. Like you have the Carrie Washington, who's like a, a teen mom. Yeah. Uh, you've got the, the character played by Fraser Starr, who's like the, the, the gangbanging like high schooler who's been to prison. Um, like from a from like a a studio standpoint, it was like, why did you all make these decisions? Yeah, like you for all the, of these characters, the girl, the girl who who was trying to get with Sean Patrick Thomas. Who's yeah, like, yeah, the the villain who was. It who is was, funny that he's <laughs> he's the only one who's bucking any kind of yes, and it, everyone knows it too. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, you're not like us. It's like why? Yeah. That's because you wrote it that way. And then they they kind of downplayed like Sean Patrick Thomas's role in that like most of the movie was like centered around him like you know falling in love with Julia Stiles and trying to get her into Juilliard that they kind of like passed over the fact that he had like gotten into Georgetown like they had the scene where they like went and celebrated but it was like that this should be a bigger deal but I mean at the end of the day like you know I, I do still think uh, it's a it's a nice romance movie. Um, and the chemistry between the two of them definitely, definitely goes a long way <laughs> to making this movie. It also successful. is just like a fun blast from the past. Like you're just like, oh yeah, these were movies that were made. These were decisions that were made, and it's it's mm-hmm. it wouldn't be done this way now. But it's funny that it was then, and she's still very she's too mean to her father. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah. Her father doesn't do anything wrong. She's very. I'm so sorry that your mom died, but he's doing his best. Poor Harry Kenny. It's not his fault. So sorry your bed comes out of the wall or whatever happens. He's got to go play jazz. I love that he's he lives on the south side, so he has to play jazz. Right. <laughs> he can, he's out all night doing jazz and jazz clubs. That's really funny. He takes his hat. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. At every time, right? Um, and it it was really cool. I mean, again, watching this from a in 2022, it was really cool to like see Chicago from a 2001 lens. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously, like I lived in Chicago in 2001, but like I wasn't like old enough to like. Oh yeah, you, you didn't really know, know where anything was, you know. <laughs> so okay. it was cool to like see different parts and be like, oh, they're on State Street right now. Like I recognize that parking lot. That parking lot has been there for 20 years. That's crazy. <laughs> Um, it, isn't there a scene where they go into the city, like downtown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was, it's so funny you mentioned that. There's a movie called, Joe Swanberg is a filmmaker who does a lot of Chicago based film. He also did the, the show Easy on Netflix. Oh, okay. Which is like all over Chicago. Mm-hmm. But he did a movie called Drinking Buddies, uh, and Happy Christmas, which also takes place here. But Drinking Buddies is, um, with Jake Johnson, Olivia, Wild, Ron Livingston, and Anna Kendrick, and it takes place in Chicago as well. And like, I think that they, I think that they, he works at Revolution Brewery right here, oh, and wow. I want to rewatch it um, because it is fun. You know, like L, L, I think L. A. and New York people are spoiled. They absolutely are. But when we see, when there's a Chicago movie, you know, when you're watching like The Dark Knight, and you're like, I, I, I don't think so. There's there's a scene in the uh, in the new Batman where oh he's on his motorcycle, yeah. and he's he's like he's he's driving toward he's driving south side, and then he's on one of the bridges in the city, and then suddenly he's clearly not in Chicago, and you're like, <laughs> no, no, that's fun for us. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I wish there were more like big movies set in Chicago. Cause like, yeah, like the Batman, like it'll be set in, they'll film it in Chicago, but like they're trying to pretend yeah. that it's 
Exiles, and I get like this Batman, so like Gotham City doesn't actually exist, but like there are a lot of shows like this, like that, where it's like let's pretend that like even what should we call it? I mean, this isn't a movie, but that Netflix show, The Circle, like oh, they tell God. us like this is set in Chicago, and, the show and then like they show Milwaukee. Yeah, like it's it's Milwaukee, and then there's also like, like part of it that's filmed in like London, and it's like we know this like, isn't Chicago. It's like <laughs> small lakes and like trees, and I'm like, we yeah. we have one big lake. It's here. Yeah, I completely agree. I think L.A. and New York people are spoiled. Like They're people spoiled make they get to see every movie and go, I know that corner, that corner. Yeah. It's a, it makes me want to revisit. Uh, movies that take place in, we should have like a marathon. That's a really good idea. I like that. I like that. Um, alright, and then Brown Sugar is, I wonder if, you know, I, I've said my problems with, uh, oh, uh character Tegas, in yeah. the past episode, which kind of hampers the relationship part of it. But I like how <laughs> smart everyone is in that movie. And what I like about it is it's, it's an adult romance. Yes. Mm-hmm. These are all, even though they literally say it, they're like, you're gonna be 28 next year. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? You're out of your mind. Everyone in that movie is 32. <laughs> I'm going to be 45 and watch that movie and go, well, everyone's more successful than me. So everyone in that movie is 47. <laughs> Not quite my age. I'm, I still have time to get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're having real conversations about real things and dealing with their feelings. And a lot of it's played for laughs and stuff. But, um Again, this is going to be true of every movie we talk about, and I cannot stress it enough. The best movies come from real characters, mm-hmm. and Brown Sugar has it, and Save the Last Dance for at least two of them kind of <laughs> do, but, but the relationships come between real characters, and that's what makes it endearing. So the romances, they're few and far between, and I think that bias is on both fronts, the film industry and the music industry, because hip-hop mm. is predominantly targeted toward a male audience. Yep. And so we have less of those, um, just like we have less female rappers, especially, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and even the female rappers back then have to skew male. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole part of Notorious was he was like, talk about sex. And she's like, huh? And he's like, guys like sex. Talk about it. Um, that there's just not as much opportunity for movies target, not even to say that romances target females, but that's the majority of who they're targeting. Even though I, you know, you and I will see it. We don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just the type of movies that people think are targeted toward different people, which can be really harmful for projects and for movies getting greenlit. So there's not a lot of examples for, which is unfortunate, but yeah. And then there's that whole thing. I think you, you actually mentioned this, uh, maybe a few episodes ago. Um, the thing that Will Smith has made very apparent about how like they would never pair him, uh, with, um, black co-stars because they didn't think that white, like black on black romance would like sell with white audiences. And so I think that plays a part in the reason that we don't have a lot of hip hop romance movies as well. So, yeah. And there was, there was a rumor that Denzel would do the opposite where he wouldn't Mm. take on roles where he was paired romantically with a white woman, just to not just to stop kind of enforcing that type of filmmaking. Interesting. Either that, or he doesn't like white women. I don't know. (laughs) I choose, I choose to believe one version of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was also a big. If you look back at his like romance, you know, in like the Pelican, maybe in the Pelican Brief, they get together. I don't know. I don't remember. But um, I believe that was true. But it certainly is with Will Smith that they either had to be uh, white or like Latino, mm-hmm. which they were like, that's the middle. 
which is yeah, a crazy yeah. way to think about a race. That's, yeah, wild. That's half. That's fifty percent white and fifty percent black. Is a Latino person. Here we go. Uh, the movie industry. Um, yeah, it's a stupid industry that I've dedicated my life to following. All right. Um, action. So another another one that we we have two movies here, but also because like. A lot of the movies could have kind of like fallen, fall in different genres and yeah, so. Thriller, drama, yeah. you know, especially with DMX, he's got like three of these type of movies. Yes. We picked Cradle to the Grave just because it has the song in it. <laughs> yeah. It's my main reason why. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of big action movies because when you think of action movies, you think of something like a John Wick. Yes. Or like a superhero film, and those are just two. The first John Wick isn't big, but nobody expected that to be a hit. But it's too big of a movie that studios probably think, well, especially because most rappers aren't natural actors. But yes, the idea that we back when you know, there's something about rappers, and then you just throw them into our. You think that our R-rated fare is where they go. They rap and they mm-hmm. they swear in their songs. They're going to swear in the movies. Um, and if the the concern, in my opinion, would be if you dilute it to PG thirteen, you may kind of you 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 run the risk of alienating the audience that goes well i like their music because of how hard it is how hard can they be if it's pg-13 mm-hmm. um there are franchises you know the first three diehards were rated r and the fourth one is pg-13 and people were like is it still going to be diehard and yeah it was it's just there's <laughs> much violence in it but um yeah, so I think that, you know, as R-rated movies of these smaller nature, like A Cradle to the Grave or like A Set It Off, started to decline in being made, that type of, and then the type of action movies that were being made were just too expensive to justify what they consider, would probably consider to be a niche um, section of the audience, which is mm-hmm. just like a hip-hop movie. Um, it's 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 tough to uh, to get made, but... We got one of these that are really good. Yeah, I was about to say, and it, it sucks because you have a movie like Set It Off, which is probably like maybe one of my favorite movies out of everything, all of the movies that we talked about on this list, which like not only is it an action movie featuring like four women in the, in the, the helm, but Queen Latifah, this is like one of, like her biggest roles as a as a movie actor, she nailed it. They're doing all of these like shootouts, and it looks amazing. And you know, I just wish there were, were more opportunities where people would give you know four black women the <laughs> the helm and be like, all right, let's do this because they did it so well. And I can't really think of another movie like since Set It Off that really you know gave them the reins like this. And it's like, why not? Because they were so good in it, and and like it's it's clear that this is this can be successful. I mean, I guess I don't know what the what numbers set it off did. But uh, I have no, to imagine it did pretty good business. I mean, the reason why they they gave them the money was because it cost like nine million, which isn't isn't nothing, but certainly mm-hmm. isn't big budget. But you know, when you talk about like a movie that stars like four African American women, the you know, like Girls Trip was seen as an event. Right. Movie. Yeah. And the reason why it's seen as an event is because they don't make movies like that. <laughs> yeah. Enough. So when it does happen, it's like, oh my God, it's happening. And then when they make a lot, of, it's this whole vicious cycle where when they make a lot of money, 
you know, the write-off is like, oh, it was like a movie of the time and it was this kind of underserved thing. And it's like, yeah, part of it is if you feed an underserved demographic, if you give them what they want or representation, mm-hmm. it's a huge deal. And it, it's it's happened so many times with like Girl Trip, which is like a big studio pushed comedy starring three African-American women, Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. exploded and – um uh, you, you, oh man, what's his name? Eugenio Derbez. I forgot what his name is, but he had some movies from, uh, from, uh, Mexico make huge money. And then he did some, uh, English language movies, which did money. And we, you know, studios kept feigning surprise, but it's not a surprise. If you give an underserved, if you start serving an underserved demographic, They'll show up, and it's a shame that like studios can't just really figure that out. It's slowly moving in that direction, mm. but um, but it's it's tough that it's just taking so long to to realize that. But set it off is great. Queen Latifah is great. So in it. good, yeah. Um, Jada, uh, Vivica, Kimberly, Elise, just oh, what a what a crew! Like the four of them together, like they were just so good. Yeah, I love uh, a heist movie. Yes, um, one of my favorite genres, like heist subgenres. Are great. Mm-hmm. And have you seen Heat? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Because otherwise we'd have to stop. <laughs> uh, Heat's great, and uh, um, yeah, and F. Gary Gray would actually go on to do the Italian job, which is also a high school. Yeah, which is fine. yeah. He's, he's got a but, niche. Um, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, and so that's an example of it. It's like it's peak, and it's because again, the characters. Say it with me, the characters were well drawn. <laughs> like each of these. Actresses were given a character that had depth, that had motivation, mm-hmm. knew what they wanted, um, and everything was really smartly laid out. And then you have a movie like Cradle to the Grave, <laughs> which I've talked about, which is garbage. Very bad, very bad movie. Which is, did you watch? You didn't watch it. No, no, I didn't rewatch it, but I, I, I know that it's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is bad. And again, it's like, it's thinking it's giving audiences what they want for a mass product. It's like choppy editing, martial arts, rap music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool clothes. We're good. And it's like, no, that's not inherently what audiences want. And it wasn't a big hit. And that could be pointed to as to why. So there's a lot of wrong lessons being taken from when they're making a hip hop movie, wrong lessons are being taken from the music where they talk about having the coolest clothes, getting the girl, wealth. We'll put that on screen in the form of filmmaking style, and mm-hmm. we've made a rap movie. You haven't, though. So that doesn't make a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's disappointing, and that's why we don't have too many like this in most action movies. They're also just thrillers set in the crime world. Yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's very disappointing. Yeah. But for a fresh change of pace... Documentary. Yes. Documentary. This is probably as from a genre. Well, drama. Drama had some heavy hitters, but yeah. I I enjoyed every single entry we had in this documentary genre. So yes. we. No, I I didn't watch Tupac Resurrections. So why don't you talk about that first? Yes. So Tupac Resurrection. Um, I this was a late edition because I had completely forgotten about it, even though I owned it on DVD. <laughs> um, but it's a documentary. Um, about Tupac's life. It was released after his death. Um, and Tupac is the narrator. So that's kind of like the main, that's, that's kind of like the get them in their seats. Like this is, this is why you should see it. Um, 
And it's very good. I think it's a bold move to have Tupac kind of narrate um, his his own documentary after he's died because there are many points in the movie where it kind of like or in the documentary where it seems like he's narrating from the grave because like you know he talks about death and like how he feel, felt like he knew he would die one day and so he was always getting things ready you know that type of stuff um but I think it was well done because it does what you know All Eyes on Me like wasn't able to do and it captures some of the essence of like Tupac's character like like his actual character not like the character of Tupac I feel like um All Eyes on Me just kind of like ran through the Wikipedia points and made sure that they showed everything that showed up on the Wikipedia page but Tupac Resurrection like like we get to hear Tupac explain his own decisions because like he's the narrator so we get to hear him talk about his childhood uh growing up we get to hear about his relationships and him contextualizing moments in his life, like the digital underground um, stuff that like all eyes on me kind of just like zip through like Tupac talks about it in depth in the um, zip through or showed like a whole fucking song. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean like they zip through like the, the um, important part, the important part. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he talks about a lot of stuff that it's just like really cool to like hear his perspective. He talked about, um, how getting the character or like getting the role of Bishop in the movie Juice, how it like actually changed him in real life. Um, and the documentary actually made some of the moments from the, uh, biopic make more sense. Like we got to see more of his humor. We got to, hear him speak on the duality that we talk so much about with Tupac and like how could Tupac be talking about all this violent stuff, but then also make like dear mama, like he talks about, you know, those budding heads within him. Well, no, we saw that in the movie. His, his mom said something, he said something nice to him in prison and then he just wrote it and the, movie, <laughs> and the song was just already made right <laughs> after. Pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's quick. It's easy. Um, but yeah, I think, and I mean, and this documentary isn't perfect. It's definitely clearly one-sided, you know, likely because Tupac is the narrator. So, you know, there's a singular perspective that drives everything. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of leaves out certain parts like uh, the West Coast, East Coast rivalry and like how things got started. Like it, it tiptoes around some things, but... I think all in all, it's a good documentary because it, it gets at the heart of Tupac. Like we get to hear him explore his thoughts on the black community and fighting for the black community. He talks about his, his big temper, his quick temper, um, and how that started to get him into trouble. They spent a considerable amount of time on the sexual abuse case, which I was not oh, wow. expecting considering that like Tupac was narrating this. Um, but they, they really did explore it and they explored like kind of like how he thought about everything as it was going down. There were lots of clips of him kind of like addressing things in the moment. Um, so yeah, this is, this is like the lens that I wanted all eyes on me to kind of take and it didn't. So it was, it's cool that this is, this is out there. It would have been really cool if we could have this in like movie form, but I think one of the things I said when we talked about All Eyes on Me is I don't know if if we'll ever get the Tupac 
uh, biopic that we deserve because Tupac isn't allowed to act in it. And so this is kind of, <laughs> this, this is kind of like as close as I think we'll get in that regard because Tupac is so, so prevalent in this documentary. Um, it sounds really, it was nominated for best documentary feature, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. At the Oscars. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I had no, now we both had seen Dave Chappelle's block party before. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that when I was a kid and was, it was funny watching this. I, I've noticed this with a few movies, but watching this, um, a few movies recently watching this, this time I kept seeing things. I remembered specifically from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Like him doing the ready set go when he's racing yeah. the kid. I was exactly from the trailer and and so when you're watching that trailer and as a fifteen year old I was like, Oh great, I, you know, Chappelle show is great. This will be a comedy movie. And then it's not. And I was very disappointed because just because I wasn't into hip hop at the time, I was very disappointed when I finally saw the movie. And uh and this time, because I know who all those people are, uh I was very much um, more susceptible to enjoying it. What did you think of this go around? See, that's very funny because I was also disappointed, but I was disappointed for a different reason. Um, that's hilarious that we were both disappointed in this <laughs> when we first saw it. So when I first saw this and maybe the first time I saw it, I own the DVD and I'm pretty sure <laughs> I was, I was briefly and not too brief was probably like three to five years. Um, signed up for Columbia house where they would just like send me a movie like every, I don't know the cadence or how frequently, but like to own. Yeah. 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 So you, you like, you like pay like a subscription and That's then like every month or something, they would send what you kind of movies. Do you, aside from this, what other kind of movies did you get? You remember? Uh, a lot of ones that I don't watch anymore. I, I distinctly remember getting atonement from Oh, atonement's great <laughs> from, this, from this. And, and I know that I got Dave Chappelle's block party. Did you but, watch atonement? Uh, I don't think so. Dome, it's great. Anyway, go ahead. It's good though. <laughs> um, so I thought that this was gonna be like con, like footage of the festival. Like okay. it was gonna be like um summer of soul in a way where I mean, but I guess not really. I thought I was just gonna be watching the block party, and I, you know, I thought there might be little snippets here of Dave Chappelle, like you know, saying stuff and like behind the scenes. But I thought for the most part, it'd be like. Hey, here's the entire festival. We recorded it all. Now you get to watch it. And I was super hyped because this was like 05 and like Kanye was there. And this was like when Kanye was, I think he, he might have released late registration at this point, but he had definitely released college I dropout. I don't think so because that, that came out in 05 and the concert wouldn't have been in 05, I don't think. Okay. So maybe, yeah, you're right. So maybe he had only had college dropout. Yeah. Yeah. College dropout had come out in 04. So college dropout was like the thing he was doing. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get complete footage of every performance from the Black Party. And instead, it was a documentary about the creation of the festival, and it actually spent... Was it though? (laughs) Or was it Dave Chappelle meandering for a while? Spent incredible amounts of time of Dave interviewing, like, random people from his hometown to come see the show. Also just in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember being very pissed when I watched. Like I watched it once, and I was like, oh, "That is funny." That we wanted that we wanted the opposite things from the movie, and neither of us were satisfied initially. But now, now that I'm 16 years removed from that disappointment, uh-huh. I this documentary so much more because, like, now that I'm, I, I don't think I've actually seen this since 
I like was oh, wow. disappointed. I don't think I ever went back to it. But now I watched it and I was like, oh, there's actually way more music in this than I, I think I was just like. There's a lot I, of music. Yeah, like tons of music. And like, I am very pleased with how much music they gave us. Like so many dope performances from just like probably one of my favorite um collection and time periods in hip hop like that neo soul I want you to send me a playlist of neo soul because I've never I've never really known the, what that was called or whatever and like the past like 3 years I've been very much like yeah this is the sound for me Yeah and it's and I love it because it's 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 mostly R&B but it's also hip hop and it's because like a lot of those artists kind of they kind of click together yeah. and they made songs together so like when i think neo soul i think of like hip-hop and r&b at the same time like common most deaf talib Kweli, erica badu jill scott like all of them are kind of like all encompassed in neo soul for me and that's probably like one of my favorite like styles of music is like everything they were doing from like late 90s through early 2000s it's just incredible the roots like they're of course a part of that as well um and we got to see so many dope performances from all of those artists in this documentary like i think we've talked maybe just personally about um the song you got me um with by the roots which features erica badu yeah but was originally uh written and like performed by jill scott and in this documentary, we get to see them perform You Got Me with both of them on stage. Uh, it's just yeah. incredible. It's yeah. like, we're probably never going to see that again. So this, I'm glad that I own this because I probably will go back and watch this just to see some of these performances. Yeah, I, I thought it was, um, I, th- I thought it was really good. I think that it's a, it's too long. And I think <laughs> that has to do with the fact that they're, is so much front end remote stuff shot yeah. by Dave and so much back end performances mm-hmm. that by the time we're at the back end performances, I'm tired of watching it and I'm like, I don't want any more performances when really I should be wanting, cause I enjoyed all the performances, but I was like sitting there going another fucking song. Like <laughs> come on. And I think that the movie's a little misguided cause it, you're, it's not about him putting it together. It's not even about him like inviting his hometown cause he does it in New York. It, it feels like, you know, and this was coming right at the, the time where he had gotten the offer for the 50 mm-hmm. million from comedy central. And he clearly didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So it feels like he, as a reaction, he made this. Um, <laughs> and he feel it looks like a man who is lost. Like he doesn't know, he almost like he feels guilty about his wealth uh-huh. in it. And he feels, um, unsure of, of the path he's taken. And so he's almost doing this to give back, but also just like to, to make himself feel good about something. It seems, it almost feels like a selfish, not in a bad way, but there's just he's clearly going through some things in this that the movie then feels aimless because it wasn't oh he wasn't aware of it. Michel Gondry directed it. He's a fantastic director. Mm. Um, he directed Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, which was one of the best movies of the century a few years earlier. He's a great director, and I, I don't think he knew what was going on with Dave. I don't think Dave was ready to kind of explore what was happening. So the movie feels lost as well. It doesn't, it doesn't have a point of view because he's just so in conflict with himself and they didn't explore that. So it's, it's a confusing movie to me because I, he, 
he's going around talking to these kids, but he's not like saying anything. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, like the words of wisdom anybody gets is from the performers. Like there's that whole section with, um, with what's his name? Uh, from the Fugees, Wyclef. Oh yes, with, yes. With the marching band. But like Dave walks over and he just like makes jokes with them and invites them to the show. And I just like, you, you, you're just kind of going to people and going like, I'm Dave Chappelle. Isn't that crazy? And it's like, well, what are you doing? Uh, why is that a documentary? That's true. So then if it's about the block party, then yeah, show us the whole thing and make it like an hour, 20 minutes and just show us the concert. So it felt a little lost, but having said that there are, there are some good bits with him. Um, you know, we, we obviously there's sections they could cut. We don't need that rap battle that he has with the Mr. T looking. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's just some stuff that doesn't work, but the stuff that does work is funny. And all the musical stuff is great. It's just, it's too long and too kind of poorly structured and to nobody's fault because I just don't think anybody knew what was going on. Um, I think it's funny that they left in uh, Lauren Hill for getting the words to killing me softly. <laughs> uh, I was really surprised that they didn't cut around that. I that and it's, and it's, uh, it's cool that like we got the Fuji's. So like we got the Fuji's reuniting on stage eight years, right? Yeah. And the only reason that happened is because they had actually invited Lauren Hill to perform this and her record label. I think it might've been Columbia was like, no, you can't perform any of your like solo stuff. Cause we like, they owned it. So they were like, no, you can't perform any of that. So she was like, all right, I'll just get the Fuji's to come back and we'll just perform that stuff. So that was um, cool. Um, it was so cool seeing them and her bring them up. I loved her response to where have you been? And she's like right there. And she yeah. her kid. Yeah. Uh, I love, um, you know, obviously all the root stuff, the Kanye stuff is great. Uh, the, the, the black, black star performing together was, was yeah. great. The performances are great and it really felt like a fun time to be there. How about that J. Cole thing? Isn't that hysterical? Yeah. And so like, I, I had forgotten. I, I remember that there was something that like J. Cole is like in when he was younger and I, I didn't remember what it was. And then when I saw him, in the documentary, I was like, oh, it was this. And he's a shot holds on him. How old? He, he shows up like multiple times throughout the like I, I keep noticing him because I'm like, oh, he's still there. Like it's J. Cole. He was there all day. Apparently. How how um, old do you think he is there? Probably 16 in 2006. Oh, 2006. 2005. 2005. Mm. See, this is 22 and he's probably 30s. So like seven. Maybe like maybe like. 17, 18? Maybe. Yeah. It's wild that he's standing there. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild that there's just, like, shots of a young J. Cole. Just, it's uh, very cool. And, like, the movie has a thing where they inv- he invites, like, older white people to go, and then they only very sporadically show them at the concert. Yeah, yeah, but, like, that was strange. But even that could be a thing where he's like, I'm inviting everybody to this concert and, like, a big kind of communal thing and then he shows them in like once and then they're like there's a lot of energy here and they cut away and i'm like well why don't we we talk to her for a second um yeah it would have been nice to get more like footage of like how they were enjoying the festival it's funny i i took out my phone um when i started watching this and i was like you know what i am going to record how much of this documentary was actual music performances so i like had my stopwatch on my phone I press start anytime somebody started performing music and I press stop when they stop. And out of 105 minutes of this documentary, or maybe 103, 40 minutes was artist performances. So, so an hour is him meandering. 
Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. too much. It, <laughs> that's too much. No point to it. Um, the musical performances are great. It's also, like, again, some of the bits he does is good, and it's just, it's nice seeing a Dave Chappelle who wasn't, like, jacked and saying transphobic yeah, things. Like, that's just nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a, it, it is, in it, I don't know why more people don't talk about it, but it's clearly a man in crisis who's about to make one of the most crazy decisions in modern history, like one of the most baffling decisions. Just I'm not taking the deal and I'm moving to Africa for like five years. Like, Oh yeah. shit. Um, that it's, it's really cool to watch in that regard. Cause you know, if something's going on in his head, That's a really good um, but it is good. And then my favorite of the ones that I watched these rhymes in life. Had you ever seen this before? Uh, no, I don't think I had. I'd never seen it either. I've I had heard so much about it because, um, uh, Michael Rappaport, I, I listen to Bill Simmons sports podcast all the time. And there was a very large period of time where Michael Rappaport was just always on Bill Simmons. Podcast. No. No, <laughs> yeah. Those guys are friends. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very good friends. Um, and so I think I must've been listening to, uh, was I, I don't know. I don't I don't remember why, but I've definitely heard him talk about beats rhymes in life on Bill Simmons podcast before and like making sure Bill Simmons is a fish. Bill Simmons like hip hop. Has he ever talked with it? Uh, I think he tries to like he tries to like be hip every now and then. And so like, he still just sit there and just go, well, what I love, well, what you did with that hit the, the tribe called Quest Doc. I love what it reminded me of was the 74 Celtics because they were a bunch that clashed personality wise. Um, he loves to bring everything back to Boston. That's very, he is, very good point. He is. I Michael. I was always skeptical because I was like, the fuck is Michael Rappaport know about tribe called Quest? Right. Like, why did they give him so much access? Like, I, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> like, oh, why you can hear all that? talking to people? It's just like, Jesus. Why did you all let Michael Rappaport of all people follow you around for however long? Like, this is a long. Like, he captured like a lot of footage, so it's like this was happening for a while. When they got into that scuffle, Michael Rappaport was like. Right there, just going, like, no, hang on, one sec. I just got to get this camera shot. Hold on one sec. Like, I would be out of my mind. If, like, if, 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 Fife, if Fife was, like, wailing no during that argument, and then, like, my rapport's just like, so tell me, Fife, how do you feel? I would, like, be like, you need to get out of my face. Like, yeah, seriously. You're the least calming presence I've ever seen. Um, I love A Tribe Called Quest. I, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to watch this, and I haven't. I thought this was great. Yes, it's fantastic. And what's great about it and what kind of separates it from what I think you'd expect it to be about is that it's it's not about the music they made. It's about the personalities within the yes. group. Are you and reading so, from my notes? That is exactly what I wrote. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> It's it's so interesting to be like these are you know we're not gonna talk about how they're they do a little bit how their music kind of changed hip hop but it's more about like and why they were so successful it's more about like we're gonna show you how they made it by showing you what they think and how their minds work and how they work together um, I thought it was so fascinating and I I I loved that there there's and I, I was thinking about it when watching and it's like they're a group of men who grew up together and drifted apart but did so while 
being in a, a, a musical group together mm-hmm. and realizing how talented each one is. And so I think they, they knew they stayed together long enough, but they're just like guys who just don't get along anymore. Yeah. And it, that's such an interesting thing that we don't really take into account when we're talking about like musicians or groups breaking up is like the Beatles broke up. Why? Oh, it must be ego. It's like, no, probably just because eventually people stop, you know, gelling with each other and, and, um, I, I, and the way that they, they both got, you know, they both, uh, they, they, they reunited both four Fife yeah. times yeah. to give him some money. It's just like, it's so fascinating and it's such a thing of love. And I, that whole, that, I could have just watched the documentary about that tour. I mean. Oh, the Rock the, yeah, the Rock the Bells tour. That's oh the tense part of the documentary and it's yeah like i agree with you like the the best part about this is just the access they had to moments that like everybody wondered about because like we've all like heard about a tribe called quest breaking up and like oh there was like some tension between q-tip and five dog and you know we hear all these things but seeing it seeing it is like completely different than hearing about it. it's like oh i see like how Fife is feeling about like and the, the pain react. Yeah. Yeah. Like he is so when, when they get into that argument and Fife is yelling like, no, it's such like a wailing of hurt. He's like, his heart is breaking because yeah. this was like his best friend. And he's like, doesn't know what happened or why he's even annoyed with him anymore. It's yeah, so, yeah. it's just such a vulnerable moment that you don't see out of rappers. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's so um startling to watch um it's so good i thought it was great i thought that it gave a whole new meaning to it i i, I sent you that clip that i watched as soon as it ended i i watched the uh, the jimmy fallon clip where they reunited and then decided to make uh um thank you for your service we got it for we'll we'll take it from here or whatever mm-hmm. that's called and um and it was like a year before fife died that that performance and it's uh it's so heartbreaking and um they're so good i was it was really good and it's really special um access to a group that like well especially because it's a group that we won't see together again yeah yeah and and like especially when you consider like how much time they spent on fife's health in the in the documentary and this was made before he died so it like it even hits different watching it now because it's like damn you know that like eventually like this diabetes it it will take him him. yeah so that's yeah that's why i'll tell you something off mike you know what i thought was interesting was what also very poignant was when he's in the hospital and he says i got a text from q and he just the text just said like you know um, hey, good luck, Godspeed, and you know, whatever. It's a very simple text, but it means so much to him it does, that yeah. he reached out with like the most like basic text you can send to someone who's about to have surgery. But like he knew that Q meant it, mm-hmm. and that he he wasn't gonna say anymore. And he was like, no, that was exactly what he would say, and it really meant a lot to him. And so it's a very beautiful documentary in that regard. I agree. The music's great. Come on. Yeah, oh my God, they play so much. Like I was looking at the Wikipedia page, and the Wikipedia page like very accurately lists every song that was played in the documentary, and it's like, oh my god, look at all this music! Like <laughs> so much good music. I mean, if you yeah. had access to it, yeah, use it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I uh, yeah, just like them starting with uh, uh, can I kick it? Just that like over the cre- opening credits is just mm-hmm. so. 
good. <laughs> it's just yeah. so good. Yeah, and there um, there are a, a lot of really cool moments where they like talk about like like they do like really delve into like the personal relationships between the members, but there are a lot of cool moments where like we get to like hear about like oh so that's how you all came up with the idea for this song or like right. the fact that they addressed like the rollout of their the love movement album which like a lot of people from like outside in were like oh, seems like something's not right with you all but like you're releasing this this album about love and the fact that they kind of acknowledged like yeah like we were just kind of it's almost like they were just on autopilot just like just like making music but like reality is um, falling apart and to kind of bring it back to docs i just feel like a documentary can't, I mean, it can be, but it rarely will be presented in a way to appease mm. a studio image of what a few, we've talked a lot about it, and I think that's kind of the whole issue with how the industry looks at hip-hop movies and just at movies targeted toward African-Americans in general, but as a direct reflection of what they hear in a song or a style that they think works or just a really cheap product they can push out and make money. Mm -hmm. Documentaries can't do that. They have to be about something. They can't have quick stylized editing. They can't have big explosions. They can't really have you know, nudity or anything like this that you would think goes into like an exploitive type of feature. Um, so you get actual characterization and like really poignant moments. It's a really good genre for, for hip hop. And it's one of the most underseen ones. People don't go look go out of their way to watch documentary films, but mm -hmm. it's one of the most rewarding because it's just, they can't formulate it and mush it into what a studio thinks will make money. They just yeah. have to tell the story in front of them. Um, so it's really successful. Yeah, I I absolutely love hip hop documentaries and I'm and I'm happy that it does seem that like we're gonna continue to get really good ones. Speaking of Bill Simmons, like him and like the ringer, they kinda produce the this like music box series on HBO Max or yeah, HBO Max. Um and two of the ones that were part of that were a DMX documentary and a Juice World documentary, and they were both I think very well done. So you know, people We've are still taking the, the time. Uh, the, the, the Yay series on uh, Oh, yeah, yep, the genius Netflix, Netflix, which couldn't have been more biased if you... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, if but you're going to watch... I still it, loved it. I just, I love, I love um, getting that behind the scenes. I found it, I mean, I love those first two episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where he's making those songs, I was like, this is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> and then when we get to everything else... Yeah, and there's yeah. like no, and he was like, and the, and the way that guy would talk and that narration oh, was so like, just you can't keep doing it, buddy. The way he said Kanye, I can't, I can't. He's just so said he didn't want me to start filming, or he wanted me to stop filming him. He's so what? self. And then I made this movie, which looks like it's like no one cares. We can get away from that. Um, but he was so self-important. And then I thought it was so funny when he was like. uh me and Kanye, me and, wait, uh, how do you say it? Uh, me and Kanye didn't speak. Kanye, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for four years, and I was like, you mean when he made My Beautiful Dark Fantasy? <laughs> you, got, you have no footage of that at all? Uh, not even, uh, you weren't, you weren't in Hawaii? Oh, okay. Uh, damn it. 
<laughs> was anybody there? I was just waiting for him to go. And then we were in Hawaii in the uh. studio, and he was just flying people in. And he was like, listen to this piano thing I got. And I was all so, I wanted to see was what I would, What I would give. For a my beautiful dark twisted fantasy documentary. Oh, oh my god! But like the making of, I, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like I want, yeah. I want, I want to see the studio sessions. And I know that, I mean, judging by how like close knit and like how serious like Kanye's rules were from what I heard about those sessions, like who knows if anybody actually has that footage, like. <laughs> yeah, well, if anybody does, he does. And then, like, yeah. the movie was, like, it was, the, that series was so close to showing us the real Kanye. Where, like, the parent, you know, he had, like, the bulletproof vest on during quarantine and shit. And then they just kept, he kept moving away from it. And I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah. And then it ends with him, like, agreeing with, like, Ted, or, like, uh, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> That's how it ended. And I was like, god damn. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. Uh no, but the first episodes are really good. Anyway, um, documentary is the way to go. So, Ahmad, what do you think – what genre do you think best suits hip-hop films? Um, where do you see improvement here? What would you like to see out of out of uh, hip-hop films in the future? Um, Let's see. I mean, I think if, if we're talking about just, like, content and not like success like sure thing i think documentary like keep churning out some like well thought well thought out well written well produced well directed documentaries about artists that we care about and there are so many like just so many to choose from um i think that's a, a real sure shot to like making some like really compelling content success wise Success wise, it seems like drama, dramas where the quote unquote money is at. Yeah. But I, I honestly want to see see more of the the genres where we only had like two two movies to really yeah, some romances. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be dope, and get like some really. You know what's a great? Have you ever seen Beyond the Lights? No. It's it's not hip hop. I believe she she's a pop star. Uh-huh. But it's um came out in like 2014. Okay. And it's uh it's a uh, uh, Gina Prince Blythewood directed it. She I think she wrote it as well. Beyond the light. And she also did um Love and Basketball. Oh, okay. And it stars uh uh Google Mambathra who I love. Oh. And it's really good. It's about a um oh, Nate Parker. Interesting. Yeah, and well, all right, well. <laughs> yes, and someone else. Uh, wondered wondered why I hadn't heard from him in a while, and I just remembered what uh, what happened to him. Um, but Google Mambathra is great in it, and it's about like a pop singer who falls in love with um, like a you know, her body. It's like a bodyguard take. Oh, okay. But it's 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 uh, it's very good, and like. That could, if we're talking about set in hip hop, that could be the type of romance we look at. It could be, I mean, there's a thousand examples of like a singer meets a fan or a yeah. singer and her songwriter or whatever. But like, um, it really could be, and it doesn't have to be hip hop in the world of hip hop. It could be in, you know, it could be starring a rapper. It could be the soundtrack is curated to hip hop music. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So, 
I just don't want to see hip hop boxed in anymore to yeah. movies about the inner city. Although there are plenty of stories to tell in that regard, but um, you know, about criminals and, and gangsters, I want it to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for a musical. Oh, jukebox musical where they rap instead of sing. And I want, I'd be um, yeah, that's what I, that's the main thing I want. I don't think it's really been done before. And uh, that's uh, that I think could very easily be done and done well. Yeah. And, and, and I'm also wondering, like, for as far as action, I would love to see some more like action movies centered around hip hop. But it's like, is anybody even like attempting to do that like nowadays and like we need like a big star to kind of like related related to hip hop in that way and like it's not a lot of rappers right now that I'm like rushing out to like see in theaters in an action movie so I don't know I don't know what we can do from the from the action standpoint but I'd love to see some more hip hop romances action movies yeah I just um I think that, that, you know, the film industry used hip hop to, I mean, they use everything to make money. But when that became big, they kind of centered their movies around what they were hearing in the lyrics. And for some things that worked and for some things it didn't. And when they wanted to do comedies, they took base level humor and thought that was enough. And it's just a really kind of such a boilerplate way to take a hugely expressive and creative art form and put it in the simplest terms, which is like the opposite of what good rap is. It's the <laughs> yeah. opposite of simple. It's complicated and messy and strange. And, um, the film industry seems scared to kind of experiment with that formula. And it's a real mm -hmm. shame. So as the film industry is now changing wholly, um, it's going to be tough to get even movies like menace to society again. Oh Yeah. And yeah. so as this kind of the type of movies that are made are changing, I I hope that um, there are filmmakers out there who grew up on these type of movies and grew up on this type of music who were kids, you know, in the late 90s when this came out who want to kind of experiment with the form. Um, and I think it'll eventually happen. You know, I think that um, Dope is a great example mm -hmm. of that, even though Rick... Uh, uh, Last name I forget. The director uh, oh, yeah. isn't, isn't exactly a, a, a young a young lad, but um, <laughs> but I think that there is room for it, and and I just hope that it gets the push in the audience that that it deserves because movies can be such an expressive medium, and that's all that music is is expressive. Yeah. So it should be a perfect marriage. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, and just it's kind of like music in that regard. Sometimes songs are good, sometimes they're not. But. <laughs> Completely agree. Anything else? Uh, no. Did you did you want to rank them? Um, rank them or uh, what the movie? Or are like, uh, yeah, the choose what we thought is uh, I guess oh, the best. oh the the best ones of the bunch. Best one in each genre, yeah. Uh, as far as drama, uh, to do the right thing for Completely me. For agree. Sure. Comedy, I would go with dope out of these. I went with um, Friday, probably a, a nostalgic pick for me. I, I do think Dope is the, the better written movie, but I just I just really enjoy Fridays. And so. I'm going to say the same thing for Save the Last Dance, where I think Brown Sugar is the better written movie. Okay. But Save the Last Dance is just very funny to me. Not uh, Sugar for romance. 
action, Cradle of the Grave sucks. <laughs> And set it off as great. Yeah, completely agree. And then documentary beats rhymes in life. Yep, same here. I love it. it was such an intimate portrayal. All right, anything else to close this out? Uh, I think that's everything. This has been this has been a really dope series. It's been a long time coming. I think we've been talking about this doing this series for well over like a, a year, year and a half, least, two years yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, I'm glad glad we were able to to get together and do this before the podcast uh, rides off into the sunset in a week or two. Uh, and I can't tell you how honored I am that I was like the last big thing this series was that you chose to do. And um, since this is my last time on the podcast, I want to tell you how good this podcast was and how much of a joy it was to listen to over the years and, and your your knowledge certainly shines through, but your passion and your love for this music was so evident and infectious uh, each time you listen to it. So it'll be missed, but I cannot wait to see what you do next, and I hope to be a part of it in some way. So thanks for doing this. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And, yeah, now you're just going to have to get so many of my music takes through text and in person <laughs> rather than through. Although through I do, there is an open invitation that when Noah and I do our top ten movies or even, like, the first First podcast of the year. If you want to hop on and do some your five albums that were your favorite of the year, you're welcome to come on and do that. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. So this is the end of the Real Rhythm series. It was a five-part series. If you haven't listened to all, all of the other parts, definitely go back into the feed and listen because they're all dope. Um, Brian, anything to plug? I mean, I know you have things to plug. So. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what's in the box office is my podcast. Uh, it's now going to be your only box-related uh, title podcast <laughs> to listen to, um, where my friend Noah and I, my co-host, discuss the box office and uh, how much movies made each weekend, where your money goes, how successful was Doctor Strange, Um <laughs> What does that mean for the future of Marvel and for your favorite franchises and characters? And we also play games and do fun tournaments like the one we're wrapping up next week, Multiplex Sadness. We do a tournament every March for for March Madness. And this year we're picking the biggest flop of the 21st century. We have two films left, Gigli and Battlefield Earth. Uh, Ahmad was a guest last week. He'll be on for the finale of Multiplex Sadness this week. Uh, And we'll also be our 200th episode, so it's a good time to tune in. What's in the box office dot com, uh, Instagram, Twitter with box office. And I'm at Brian Deserber, D-A-S-U-R-B-E-R on Twitter. Nice. I'm very excited uh, for the 200th episode. Um, it's going to be a fun time. Make sure you all go to the What's in the Box Office feed to catch up on the tournament because it has been quite a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of bad movies. <laughs> so many. Um Thinking outside the boombox.com is the website, TOTB, the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. One episode remains. Um, you're probably, I released this episode on Sunday, so you've probably gotten two episodes this week. I just recently, uh, released my episode talking about Kendrick Lamar's album, so it was a two episode week, and then Probably next week, but we'll see in case there's a lot of research we need to do. I might push it the week out. But the series finale of Thinking Outside the Boombox will be airing within the next two weeks. It's the farewell tour, um, the last stop on the farewell tour, and the farewell episode. So my wife Karen will be joining. She's bringing a topic, and we are going to discuss it. 
And then, you know, at the end, I'll probably say my goodbyes and all of that fun stuff. Um, and then that'll be, that'll be it for the, for the series. So excited for the last episode. Um, Keep keep tuning in to thinkingoutsidethebootbox.com because I probably will still be updating that throughout the end of the year as far as like album releases and stuff goes. Um, so it'll probably function as like a, a blog in some sorts um, for the rest of the year. But yeah, um, it's it's crazy. Things are wrapping up, so yeah. make sure you go check things out. Um, all right, so that is that is everything for this episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip hop and R and B news. Peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.